I didn't mic check. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Say hello, church. Good Memorial Day weekend to you all. Well, as any special weekend is special, we have sent the pastor away so that the rest of the staff can pay. So here am I to serve you on this Memorial Day. And I appreciate that. I really do. But, you know, Memorial Day is one of those days where I have a special video I want to play for you. You know, think about it. One day, just one day out of the year, it's kind of like Christmas, right? One day out of the year, we stop what we're doing. And we take this breath to realize that freedom is not free, right? Freedom has been paid for absolutely quantifiably in the blood of people that think this is still a great country. And so if you would, we're going to play a video. Just take a moment to not be at church, to not be distracted. Just take a deep breath and a moment to realize today as we sit here right now, To lift the name of Jesus up, to sing, to have all this stuff. There are places right now that this would cost you your life to do this, and yet they still do it. How truly blessed are we? Not just the spectacularness of Costa Mesa or a beautiful old building or anything, but to gather in freedom and worship the God who saves. Memorial Day is that moment for you to stop and realize that someone else has paid the price. So would you take a moment with me to watch this video and tribute to those that have paid the greatest price they've served with their life?
Would you do me a favor, church? Would you stand with me and provide a moment of silence as we pay homage to those that have paid this great sacrifice for our country? Father God, I'm so glad that the last part of that video ended with the scripture. A scripture which affirms one thing, that there is no greater love that we have for one another than to lay down our lives. I thank you for the opportunity this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning that we have to come together. I thank you for those that are willing to stand on that front line every day, from our police, firemen, servicemen, all those that are willing to pay the ultimate price for our freedom. Father, we never take that for granted. May it always keep us humble and remind us of the great price that your son paid for us to be free. As we speak this morning about all the different things involved with freedom, Father, may everything that we say, anything that we do, be for the simple honor and glory of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we are once again traveling through a series. And the cool part about every series is... When you come to church, you got all these different things going on in life. You never really know what's going on in the church. But a lot of these series that we're working on, we actually pray about that and discuss them, Eric and I do, quite in advance. And what's neat to see about that is, is we've kind of put these series before the Lord. This Family of God series, how it laid out, it seems so apropos right now. It just seems so appropriate that what I'm seeing, what's going on in my life, the things that I'm kind of aware of in the world... When it comes to being the family of God are so significant because the reality is we do have a lot of freedoms. Last week in Galatians 5, we touched on some of the difference that those freedoms have provided us. A freedom to either enjoy the fruit of the spirit. I like to think of that as a singular because the word is actually pronounced singular. The fruit of the spirit, which has many different blessings for all those around. Just like a fruit, it's beneficial, it's beautiful, smells good and it tastes good and it has the opportunity to bless people. Versus the weeds of the spirit, which were listed in kind of an order before that. So the idea there is we can kind of see what God has actually given us the Christian freedom to do. The reality about our freedom is this. Within the family of God, just like within your own families, there's differences. There's nuances. There's weaknesses and strengths. And the ability to kind of see those different things and embrace those different things is what makes us a family. It's not everybody has to be the same as me or think the same as you. Is that somehow, some way, we work together to appreciate all those different things. So this morning, one of the things that I want to really focus on is this simple truth. How do we, as a family of God who has to live together, work together, play together, sing together, do all these different things, how do we as a family of God deal with something when sin or disagreement or an argument or something, when, it's, when it comes to, to the forefront of our lives, how do we deal with it? Do we deal with it differently than, say, the world does? And the reality is absolutely yes. As we get ready to kind of turn into scriptures, we're going to pick up in Galatians 6 from last week. Galatians 6, we'll read 1 through 6, and then we'll finish with the wonderful therefore and 10. So if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 6, we'll pick up this idea. What do we do with our Christian freedoms? What has our Christian freedom actually given us? And is there kind of a way, a, a recipe, a process that God has actually given the family of God to work with when argument or issues come about? So I'll read starting verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should 
restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also will be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should also share all these good things with their instructor. And then verse 10, starting with a wonderful therefore, a summarization of all that's gone before it. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. Now we'll break that down and we'll take a little verse by verse travel through that because the first part of that's so important. The first part of that tells us when and where we restore, when and where we restore. The idea there is that if a brother or a sister is caught in sin, okay, this term caught in sin is kind of the idea of invaded. Something happens to a brother or sister, you're walking along with them and you see something, a weed of the spirit, you see a sin, you see something that's identifiable from scripture that comes into their life. And you realize that you have the opportunity to speak truth into that situation that will help them avoid further destruction. And it goes on to say, who does it? Those who live by the Spirit. Those who live by the Spirit. So it's never just your pastor's job or a sponsor's job or the most holy person that is around. It's those who live by the Spirit, which for the record is anyone who's accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Anyone who's walked with the Lord and has that understanding, you have the opportunity to walk with that person. And what is it that you're actually supposed to do? It's very specific what you're supposed to do. The word is restore. Restore, okay? This is a medical term. And in the context of medical terms, it means um, to restore something that is disjointed or out of place. Okay? So you have somebody that's a sin has come into their life, a situation has come into their life. It's now put them in a situation where the arm is no longer functioning. Maybe it's out of joint, out of socket. And your job is to come alongside of them and restore that joint. Okay? How do you do that? You do that by watching yourself and making sure you're tempered. This is skillfully done. Just like a doctor doesn't just walk up to someone who has a thing and pull down on it. They know exactly what they're doing. They take the time and the energy to skillfully do something. Why? Because the goal of it is to carry each other's burdens. Carrying each other's burdens is much different than offloading your burden on someone else. We all have a burden that's been given to us to walk with and talk with and deal with in life. Everyone in this room is specially situated by God to perform a task. And when you become overwhelmed in your task, you have every right to go to a fellow brothers and sisters and ask for help. But that last thing that individual needs to do is in your time of need, when you come to them, is then offload their situation into yours, right? They're asking for help with their load. Their load is overwhelming and you want to help them carry that load. Why? Because as verse 3 says, we have to test ourselves with this. We have to test ourselves. The goal is not to test them. The goal is to test ourselves. We've probably been through a similar situation like this before. We've probably been in a scenario where we needed help. And so we have to be careful that our pride doesn't say, you know, let me tell you what you're doing wrong and how. Instead, we test ourselves first. We watch our own pride to make sure that we're in a good place to help them out. And that helps us test our very actions. Why are we helping them? Are we helping them so people can see what we do? Or are we helping them because this is an opportunity for the good of all to bless the body of Christ? 
Um, it's a difference between benevolence and altruistic. I've said that before, and so it's an interesting word situation. But when you do something for the benefit that others can see that in you, that's benevolence. But when you do something and no one gets to see it, but you do it for the work of the Father, that's altruistic. And that's how he says we're to work. We're to, we're to do things as if unto the Father. We restore the family. We're there for the family. We help each other out as if we're actually doing that work unto the Father. That's pretty motivational, by the way, if you're trying to help somebody out. So regardless of what their need is, you're pretty motivated to help them. And the results of that is we get to carry the load. And then the one who hears how to deal with things, the one who then is blessed by the person who restores them, once they hear how God's process works, uh, uh, we'll call it a recipe. Once they know how God's process of recipe works to help restore someone, they're restored. And then the next time they have the opportunity, they're going to follow that same process, that same uh, recipe. And the reason why is in 10, um, whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, you always want to understand what it's there for. It's the summarization of previous information, right? So the therefore in 10 is now summarizing 1 through 9. The fullness of 1 through 9 is summarized in one verse. We do this for what? For the good of all, all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. So there is a way that we are to act. There is a way that we are to restore members of the body of Christ that is not necessarily applicable to someone who doesn't walk with God. So when we have someone who's not walking with God and we try to restore them, biblically speaking, it's not going to work because they don't answer to the same high authority that we do, the scriptures and to God, right? But when we do walk together and we are of one accord, then when I come to you, I need to make sure that I'm very much following this recipe, this instructions by God, so that I know the goal is to restore you. Now I say recipe, and the truth is I am 100% man, and when it comes to cooking things, I have no idea about a recipe, right? I, I make Nestle's cookies once a year. And for those of you who make Nestle's Toll House cookies, most of you don't need the bag anymore. My wife could tell you the ingredients, and many people who make that just, you know, they know it. But when I make something and it has a recipe, I literally make a full commitment to following each instruction. My wife will stand over my shoulder and say, you know, put a little more of this in and add a little bit more. I, I, I can't. I literally am so programmed to just do exactly what the recipe says. And I am old, old school. I hand mix everything. Right. And when you're hand mixing butter and you're hand mixing, it's a labor of love. But it's, it's, it's the same thing for me. I only do it once a year because it's massively time consuming. And when I'm done with my chocolate chip cookies, they are like no one else's cookies. They're massive. They're really thick. And and I can't explain why. But I can tell you this. All I know how to do is follow instructions. I am someone who really appreciates instructions. I don't know about you. Along with instructions, I absolutely I love order. I do, right? I think there's something about our faith that we miss. We have a God of order. If you haven't thought about order lately, read Genesis. Read Genesis. Genesis is not random. It is specific order. Things can't happen without the order of the other things happening before that. And when I think about worship or church service or anything that we do, anytime I look to the scriptures, one of the things that comes screaming back to me is order. Right? Because a lot of times people act like, oh, God just, you know, the deist, uh, our forefathers, God just set the earth in motion, started it spinning and walked away and he just left them hanging, right? And he's distant from it all. I don't feel like God's distant from anything. I feel like God's word puts him right here in every situation we do. So I want to follow these instructions. And because of that, if you fail to use all of the ingredients, to me, that's a failed product. No matter what the end result is, it's going to be a failed product. 
You can't use partly of the best ingredients that you have, but not use the fullness of it. A recipe needs to be followed. And so I subtitled this thing, spiritual cooking, spiritual restoration. I mean, if you want to be someone who restores another brother or sister appropriately, then you need to follow God's word. Now, is there other things that you can follow? Yeah, it said if someone sins. So some of you might already be confused because you might think, is it possible not to sin? The point is not, are we going to sin or not? We will sin. The point is, when we sin, what exactly are we supposed to do? Now, we had the instructions kind of given there, one through six, a therefore of what it all was. But I also went back to scriptures and I prayed, Lord, is there something that's really specific? Those are kind of the instructions. What are the ingredients? What specifically is the method of restoration that the Bible prescribes? Second Timothy 4, 1 through 3. If you want to turn there. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 3. Timothy is a young pastor. Timothy is someone who's being mentored and discipled by an older pastor. He's someone that's being given life's lessons and wisdom and instruction. So the information that Timothy has been given is by someone who has walked with the Lord, who knows the Lord, and says, look, Timothy, write this down. You can count on this. And I find that this is going to be very freeing for some of you because the difference between judging and restoring is about to be laid out absolutely perfectly clear. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 3. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. Right? This is a sermon in and of itself, right? But that first part is so crucial. Who is it that's responsible to judge the living and the dead? God, Christ, okay? It says, it says Christ Jesus. Who is it that died for the living and the dead? Christ. The Bible says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man... Anthropos, in the word Greek, anthropos, no human being, no man comes to God except through me. So only one person has the God-given right to judge. That's really important because when you read Matthew, uh, Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged, a lot of people are still confused on what our role is. Judging and restoration are two different things. Okay, completely different things. We're not here to judge other people. We are here to restore other people. And now that we have the actual verbiage, like it reads like ingredients. Here's the three ingredients. You correct, you rebuke, and you encourage. We have all the instructions in Galatians 1 through 6, and we have the summarization in 10, what we're actually doing. That's kind of the recipe. And now here are the very specific instructions. You see, the reality is when I judge somebody, you know, I noticed that you're... Um, a member of the red team. And I just wanted to let you know as a member of the blue team that that's a problem for me, right? And I just want to pray for you that one day you'll come to the National League champion six times in a row side. <laughs> I don't have to say anything. The blue team clearly knows who I'm talking to. And the red team clearly knows who I'm talking to. Team Strachan. Yeah. But now some of you heard red and blue and you, you did something else, right? You're like, because you're not sports related. You went to what? 
politics, right? It's like we have this opportunity to instantly judge one another. Can you see instantly what happens when we judge? Delineation. Separation. Guys, that is not biblical. That is not who we are. And that is probably one of the greatest single components of the division of the body of Christ today. When I judge you, what I'm saying is this. This is what I think. And so I'm going to hold you accountable to what I think. How dangerous does that sound to you? That sounds very dangerous to me that I'm going to hold you accountable to what I think. Church, for the, for the record, I don't ever try to stand up here. I'm not a big fan of standing up here anyways. It, it takes a lot out of me to do this. But the main reason I stand up here is not to tell you what I think at any time. If you ever think it's what I think, please come and talk to me. My goal is not to share with you what I think. Not today, not tomorrow. 30 years of doing this, I'm not interested in sharing what I think. If you want to know what I think, come talk to me offline and say, Pastor Jeff, give me your two cents. That's kind of my internal verbiage with there. Give me your two cents, and I will tell you offline what I think. Otherwise, my goal is to tell you clearly what God thinks and what his scripture says. Because I'm not holding you accountable, I'm holding me accountable, right? It's double indemnity for me. I have to read it, I have to study it, I have to learn it, I have to hold myself accountable. Then I want to come share that with you. I'm not sharing, this is not what I think. This is what God's word says. And if I judge you or you judge me, all we're going to do is separate one another. We're going to say, this is what I think, and that's what you think, and boom, instant division. That's not what we're supposed to do. Those, the weeds that come up in our life need to be restored. The weeds that come up in our fellow brothers and sisters' lives need to be pulled, right? The goal is not to watch your brother or sister fall into destruction. The goal is to remove the things that are holding them down. And then all of a sudden, when I started thinking about it, it's like, you know, iron sharpening iron, you have to remove material. But really, all of a sudden, a picture popped in my mind when I was doing this. It's pruning, Right? One thing we are not, we're not an agrarian society. We don't really farm or grow anything or do anything. But the biblical term pruning, just all of a sudden, the Lord just exposes to my heart. He's like, you know what, Jeff? Tell him about pruning. Tell him about taking branches off and what that whole purpose is. And I'm like, okay, what's the purpose of pruning, Lord? There's an, every tree has a maximum amount of fruit it can produce. I have spent two weeks, by the way, studying this. This is going to be a, a little bit of biology for you. Every tree, dwarf tree, dwarf prune, apricot, or every tree has a minimum and maximum number of fruit that it can produce. The only way that tree will obtain that is through pruning. The individual who does said pruning is called an arborist and literally dedicates his life. It is a school endeavor to go study and learn how to do this. His goal is very simple. He does not knock branches off the tree because he hates the tree. These kind of people literally love trees. And their goal is before they do anything is to stand in front of said tree and see in the tree that exists a different tree that that could exist and be more proficient. They have factors like how much light flow does the tree have? How much air flow does the tree have? And are there any problematic branches that are impeding the tree from maximum growth? I thought, you know what? Why don't we use that example for our faith? Put that slide up there. Here we go. Let's get agrarian. When you look at a tree, the tree on the left before pruning, that tree is 100% a tree. And a lot of you can see yourself in this. You're 100% a tree. You have branches. You have leaves. And what's the problem, Pastor Jeff? Why do you want to correct me? I'm a tree. Perfectly understandable up until two weeks ago. Because that tree right there, although it may or may not produce fruit, 
is not producing fruit at its maximum capability. And only an arborist and only a believer in God who looks at a situation and says, you know what, if I don't judge that tree, but I restore that tree, I can help that tree become something that it was meant to be, that God intended them to be. And as you look at the before pruned and the well pruned tree, the tree still remains. But something's happened to those branches that were not beneficial to the tree. You know, when God prunes us, when God reproves us, when God puts someone in our lives and they say, you know, uh, Jeff, you know, I heard you, I was 19 years old, 20 years old when someone told me, I heard you use the Lord's name in vain. And I just want to let you know, pick another name, any other name will do. But when you say the Lord's name in vain, it really bothers me. It's not, it's not just bothering me, but I, it's biblical. We're not supposed to use the Lord's name in vain. I wish you would just pick another name and do something different. Would you do that, man? I love you. And I'm afraid people are going to think differently about you because you say that. I can still hear the conversation. I'm 54. I can still hear the gentleman telling me that. It changed my entire vernacular for the rest of my life. Right? But something had to be cut off. A branch that was connected to me had to be cut off because it needed to open up an area for some other place that God wanted to grow something more proficient. Because the tree that's been well pruned now has the opportunity to have more fruit. The goal is that we would bless one another, is that we would restore one another to be blessed so that the word of God can be pushed forward. Not that we can just stand down and say, I'm a tree, leave me alone. I saw Byron pruning this week. Byron's good that you do your work out there. He was pruning his roses like there was no tomorrow. If you don't prune roses, you know what happens to them? They die and they turn into a giant clump of weeds. The thing that's beautiful about a rose is that someone takes the time to let that rose be a rose. And when you can actually get a single rosebud off it, it's because somebody cared enough to grow, trim, prune, and move that thing so that it could do that. And that's what God's saying here. You know, if you want to just go lop all the branches off your friend because you don't know how to biblically correct someone, when you lop all the branches off, their tree is still alive. But look what you've done to them. You've impeded their ability to ever grow good fruit. That little clumpy tree at the end, it'll still grow fruit, but it'll be really small. And you'll never really be able to eat it because it doesn't have the proper nutrients, airflow, light, and all the other things. And some of you go wielding through your friends like a samurai and wonder why they're all hacked up and they're not producing fruit. I know we're not agrarian. I know this stuff seems so weird, but it's like they had to have known what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about biblical correction. These words had to make sense. Because the word rebuke and and correction, they literally mean things. It means to cut off. So if you're going to come into my life and tell me to stop doing something, you better be absolutely sure that what you're asking me to be cut off is not biblical. That eliminates any possibility of you judging me. Right? You're saying, Pastor Jeff, I don't like your hair. I don't like your music. I don't, you can pick any compliment, anything you say that may or may not be truth. And I would tell you this. Is it salvation? No. Is it a fruit or a weed? No. Then let it go. Because it may be true. Tattoo Mountain. Pastor Jeff, I need to talk to you about tattoos. Oh my gosh. For 25 years, all I did was talk to parents about tattoos. Let me tell you something about tattoos. They're only temporal. Right? You're going to get a new body and you're going to live forever without those. So let's make sure one thing. Are they a believer or aren't they a believer? Do they walk with God or don't they walk with God? Because there will be people in that community that I will never speak to. So praise God that there's someone in that community that has those that can speak to them. But it's not salvation. So stop judging them. 
Beer, alcohol, wine, pick your thing. Look, next week, Eric's going to talk about the stronger and the weaker brother. Because they had the same problem 2,000 years ago. We ate meat. It was from the temple. Oh, don't do this and that. Look, it exists. But it's not scriptural to come in there and judge that person for that. There's biblical information on how we process that. There's a difference between a good cut and a bad cut. You're saying, Pastor Jeff, you have spent way too much time doing a great... You know what? Put the next slide up. Fine. Fine. I get it. I have this problem. I have this propensity that I can't do anything like partial. Like I was not wired like that. I literally spent two weeks. I probably watched a hundred videos on pruning and agriculture, the difference between lopping shears and pruning shears and all these different things. I don't have any trees. I live in an HOA community. I can't cut anything. (laughs) Here's what's really cool about this. Here's what's really cool about this. Everything that comes out of your mouth, it either builds up or tears down. We don't have to be wise and clever. We just need to trust God's word that it has something to say. Because look at this. Every cut you make, it's either going to build up that tree or it's going to tear down that tree. So even the skill of the cut that you make is crucial Remember we heard skillful in the fourth line. It needs to be done skillfully. The, the limb needs to be reset skillfully. This is why. You don't, if you don't have chips in with someone and, and someone's going through a really do, a difficult time, the last thing you want to do is jump in and tell them all the stuff they need to do. Don't do it. If someone's going through a really difficult time and that's not in your wheelhouse, don't give advice. Why can't you just pray with them? Why can't you just cry with them? Why can't you just listen to them? That's, that's a novel idea, right? You know what, brother? I have no, I have never been through that, man. That is terrible. You have lost your son. You're dealing with cancer. I have never gone through that. Let me just pray with you and just hang out. Why are we so quick to give judgment? So quick to give information? What does the Bible say about being quick? Quick to listen and slow to It's not cleverness, guys. We don't have to rewrite the Bible to make it proficient. We just need to listen to it and understand it's the single authority in our life. There is no other authority in your life. The church, Eric, myself, we're not the authorities in your life. There's only one authority in your life, the scripture. If you don't believe that, then we have something we need to pray and talk about. Because the scripture gives us the way that we can act in such a way that we can restore conversations. And when I make the right cut at the right angle... You can see the bud is just below the line there. It allows that all the nutrients that are then coming up to that intersection, not only will it callus over and heal itself well, but it will force that bud up with the maximum amount of nutrients and growth. Every other one of those cuts, the two angular cut, it produces a branch that ends up going too far to the left or to the right. And that has a problem later on because once there's fruit and weight, a branch that gets pulled down is, is subject to being broken. So let me just ask you this. What happens if you have a magnificent branch and it's really a really good branch? It's just going in the wrong direction. You know what the arborist can do sometimes with a branch that's magnificent? It's just going in the wrong direction. You know what he can do to it? He can bend it. Take a small water bottle, tie a string on it, put this little weight of this string on that branch, and then bend it to an area that's open and would be beneficial for the tree to grow. And sometimes it doesn't require cutting it. It requires reshaping it. And what about that when God does that in our life and he puts a little weight on us in a situation? And we're like, I don't like that. That's uncomfortable. 
Why is God forcing me into volunteering? I don't like volunteering, right? Because maybe God's trying to reshape you into something that would be more beneficial for you to produce fruit. And the more fruit that you produce, the more blessing you are to the body of God. Doesn't, does that stuff make sense to you? I mean, it's so like, oh, my head just blows up. It's like, it's so sensible. Like God's word is sensible. It shouldn't be complex. You shouldn't have to go to school and get a doctorate degree to understand God's word. He recruited fishermen for a reason. I think he recruited us because we're real simple. Tell us what you want us to do and we'll figure out the rest of it. Catch fish. That's the highest priority. Just catch fish. Throw a net, use a spear, throw a line, drain the water out, just catch fish. And we will figure it out. A lot of you guys just sit there and you're like, mm, fish. That sounds difficult. Uh, I'm judging based on smell, and I don't like power bait. I don't want to touch bait. I don't, you just start judging. Just fish. Get past all the smells and the sights. Just fish. Just restore someone. Spend some time and love on someone and help someone. And watch the difference between judging someone and restoring someone. And see what happens in your life. A bad cut at the end right there. A good cut too high. All the nutrients go all the way up to the top of that. You're going to have a super giant callus at the top of that. And all those extra nutrients that go past the bud divert energy. That last one, the bad cut, a flat cut. Anytime you flat cut any branch, you know what you do? You kill the tree. Because one thing you don't want is a flat angular cut because it allows water to pool on the tree. And anytime there's water over a period of time, it will cause rot. You also want to make considerations for things like the branch collar and a myriad of other terms that I have no use for. (laughs) But what it taught me is really simple is that a guy who comes and cuts your tree or a girl who comes and cuts your tree whose life is dedicated to cutting trees is going to do a far more proficient job than you and I would. Right? We just get out there and we're like, samurai, you know, haya. It looks good because there's no branches left. And then the next summer it grows weird. And then two summers later it dies. We once paid someone $700 to cut a mesquite tree for us. He did a wonderful job. He did it at the wrong time. The sun came out. Two weeks later, an entire 15-year-old beautiful mesquite tree was deader than a doornail. And $750 was non-refundable because guess what he said? Not my job to know the weather thing. You said cut the tree, so I cut the tree. Huh? It's your job to know. These are all lessons that we learn in life. I have learned when, I have learned where, I have learned how to, and I have learned why. Because the difference is this. A good cut blesses. A good, good cut indicates discipleship. A good, K, a good cut builds someone up. It allows them to grow into something they could have never been before. A good cut honors scripture. It establishes that scripture is the parameter. Before I even look into your life or speak into your life, I weigh the weeds and the fruit of the spirit to even see if that even needs speaking into. Otherwise, I stand down. It shows that I'm doing something patiently, that I'm doing it carefully, and that I'm using skillful biblical instructions to come reset the limb that's currently broken in your life. It allows me to be justified by grace and then share that with you, which is a mandate of the scripture. Those who have had the restoration of God's word done to them, they are to share that with others. It's correct. It clarifies the issue, right? 
It rebukes. It cuts away the dead limb. It cuts away the weakened limb. It cuts away the limb that's not producing fruit. And it allows for new growth. It provides exhortation. Guys, the word exhortation is such a cool word. It means to draw close. Draw close. If you're not interested in drawing close to the person that you're about to reprove, don't do it. If you have no interest in the person that you're about to reprove, don't do it. Don't try to reprove someone you don't know because they don't know you and you don't have chips in the game to do that. Pray for them. Too often uh, uh, Protestant people believe that, oh, you know, I can't do anything, so let me pray. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. It's been so frustrated. You know what, Pastor Jeff? I don't, I don't have the resources. Oh, I guess I could pray. Really? That's what you think of about prayer? Prayer is the most powerful tool that you have. Walls have come down because of prayer. Giant walls. Uh, weather conditions have been altered because of prayer. Healing has happened because of prayer. You're putting too much onus on you doing something. God's going to do something, right? If you make a bad cut, all you're going to do is destroy someone. If you make a bad cut, you're going to destroy your relationship. If you make a bad cut, you're going to pronounce judgment on them instead of grace. If you make a bad cut, you're just saying, you know what? It's about what I think, and I'm the judge and the jury. If you make a bad cut, you're just being reckless, thoughtless, and impulsive. When you make a bad cut, you're reminded them that we're all condemned by sin. And that's what they need to think about. When you make a bad cut, you don't clarify the issue. You just muddy the waters and make them more confused about who God is. When you make a bad cut, you just tell them, you know what? This is personal. And let me tell you what you've done that makes me mad. And when you make a bad cut, you're basically telling them this. I'm not interested in you. Neither is God. Maybe you need to find a new group of people to hang with. Right? So I don't know what's happening in your family. And I don't know what's happening in our family, but I can tell you this. If you're struggling with trying to keep your family together, then it may be time for all of you just to come together and pray and realize we've been too judgmental. We have misunderstood the clarity of scriptures and what the scriptures would intend for us to do and what we've actually given into as we're doing. Like I said, if you have an issue with a Christian drinking wine or beer... I'm not going to get in that discussion with you because Jesus' first miracle is going to cause a huge problem for me and you. He did it for his mom. His mom called him out. And they said, clearly they drank it, and they said that the second wine was better than the first wine. So clearly they drank it. Do you have a problem with all those people too? Because Jesus was involved with that. Guys, it's not about drinking wine. You can't contextually take the scripture out and then throw it in someone's face. That's judgment. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. It doesn't matter what the word is that falls at. Drunk means this, that you've lost control of your faculties, that you're no longer able to know right from wrong. Okay, that's the same as gluttony. I don't care if it's Twinkies. Whatever you eat that you can't control yourself, it's the same concept. That's something that we can restore in someone, biblically, right? But for you to just say, oh, you're drunk, what a disappointment you are. That's judging someone. That's not helping someone. You're just pushing them away. They, don't you think they know before they drink why they're drinking? Right? They're dealing with something that's frustrating them and it has the better of them and they're still trying to make peace with it. Don't come up. They already know they're wrong. Just remind them, you know what? If not for God's grace, maybe I'd be a drinker. 
I used to drink six, seven Diet Cokes a day. I had a problem. I called the Coke man. I had a Coke machine installed in my youth room. That got rid of the problem. Then I crashed, broke my arm, and found out I have kidney disease. Now, I can't tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that Diet Coke caused that, but I can tell you this. Drinking seven Cokes a day, every day, for about 12 years, turned out to not be so beneficial for me. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't lose my appetite. I wasn't angry because of Diet Coke. It just turned out to be not a wise thing for me. All of us have the propensity to be addicted to things. All of us have the propensity to need things. I mean, we are so quick to judge other people, but the reality is we all do the same things. Let's just stop. Did the woman at the well have a problem? The woman at the well, she had a problem. She was a Samaritan. What about the woman judged in adultery? Did she have a problem? Not only did she have a problem, she was being confronted by the people with the problem, which meant based on Jewish law, everyone now gather a rock of whatever size that's available to you and take a good throw. And as each rock hits the individual and as the individual moans and groans in pain, it's a reminder to the entire town that this is what happens to you when you're caught in adultery. Funny thing was, Jesus was there that day. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, you caught her in adultery. You're ready to stone her. Let me just ask you a quick question. Who among you is without sin? Because whoever that is, then step right up and throw the first stone. And then he stood down and it said that he wrote something in the sand. Now, this is where being a little bit of a scholar and having some fun with going to seminary, what they think that he wrote can't be proven. But what they think that he wrote is he began to write names in the sand. Think about how different that would have been. Like he's writing names and you're standing there and you're like, why did you write my name? Right? The point was this. Who, if you haven't sinned, then huck rocks. Go for it. If not, let me just clarify something for you. I don't judge this person. He has all authority and all right. He found that she was seeking forgiveness and that there was something in her heart. Whatever it was, he was going to teach them that that's not up to you guys. And that the the earth system of judging people like that, we need to be very cautious about that. Now, clearly we have judges and people that have been instituted by law and they have to make rulings. They make those rulings on actual laws, right? And we know that God has instituted that for us. So that's a different topic as well. But I can tell you this, the ultimate goal of restoration for us is the building up of all, right? That's what we talked about. What is our goal today is how do we deal with arguments? How do we deal with fights? How do we deal with problems in the family of God? Our goal should always be to restore one another, to build one another up, to re-equip that individual to go back into life and be that spokesperson for Christ wherever they are. At the hair salon, at the exercise store, in the worship team, working for the city, in the financial office, wherever you are, our goal is to restore you and put you back in motion so that you can go back out and be the hands and feet of Christ in that world that you live in. And think about what we do to the hands and feet of Christ when we walk up to him and we just lop off a limb. I'm really disappointed with you. Man, I heard you say something. You know, such and such told me what you did. and I'm really disappointed with you. You know, you made a decision and I don't like your decision. So now I don't like you. Hmm. You've never made a decision before that you're upset about. You've only made good decisions. If not for the grace of God, there go I. You know what I'm saying? I do the best I can with what I have. And if I make a mistake, I don't mind you calling me out. But if you don't call me out in love, just for the record, 
Just for the record, some things are better hurt than said. You don't call me out in love. You have something to say and you want to say it the wrong way. Pleasant, isn't it? How would you like to hear that all day long in your office when you do something wrong? Does that inspire you to the love of God? That's just flat out obnoxious. That's what the Bible says. Banging gong or cymbal is what you sound like when you speak without love. It's possible you have something really beneficial to say to someone. And it's possible you are the person to bring that in their life. But if you can't check your own life and walk yourself through Galatians 6, 1 through 6 first and make sure you're good to go, then you shouldn't do it. You need to stand down and just pray with that person and send them on along their way until you're ready. Because when you can walk along with them in love and when you do share what's going to happen with them, you will build them up. Even in the midst of adversity, you will help them solidify that even though they're in a difficult or dark time, that through the power of God, they not only can persevere, but they can have victory in all things. Isn't that what the scripture says? All things what? Work together. All things, good things, bad things, indifferent things, things that you like, things that you don't like. For believers, all things work together. Stop trying to fight the honing and pruning of God and understand that there's a goal in that. He's trying to help you and shape you into something that will be more spiritually proficient. And the results of your proficiency is greater fruit. And greater fruit means more blessing and encouragement to those that are around you. And that's what our goal is. We live on this earth for a limited time for the benefit and blessing of others, to serve others. When you have disagreement and you're not sure, next week, come back next week and find out. How do we deal with weaker and stronger brothers? It it exists, so how do we deal with it? Don't be frustrated by it. Go to God's word and see that there's an answer for that. The world is watching us, church. The world is watching us. And if we don't deal with one another differently than the way we deal with them then the hypocrisy of our faith becomes manifest to them and there's no reason for them to come in or want to know why. Why do you guys treat each other differently? Why is it that when believers have problems, they don't work to the same disagreement that everyone else is? You know, that's why the Bible says for a believer and a believer to go to court is what? It's wrong. You guys got to work it out. We don't take our stuff to the court and show them that we're no different than everyone else. We have to work it out. We have to find a common ground. We have to find the happy medium between all of us because the goal is for the good of all. And if that means you've got to give up a little, then so be it. Give it up for the good of all. God will replenish. God will restore. God will replenish and replace and refill you with an understanding that you didn't have before. I'm going to have the band come up. We'll get ready to end. And I want to ask you two or three quick questions. These are for the road questions. This would be good for your small groups to ask. If the goal of restoration is for the good of all, then who's someone in your life that restores you? Who is someone that has been pouring into your life for a long time? And maybe today was just the first time that you realize how lucky you are to have someone who has been biblically restoring you for years. Maybe you don't have anyone who's biblically restoring you. Maybe you just have a bunch of people that are judging you. And today is time for you to take a deep breath. Let bygones be bygones and choose this day who you will serve. 
And if it's for you and your house, you're going to serve the Lord, then understand that there's a recipe and ingredients that God has given us for a result that's far more beneficial. What are you going to do about it? And who's someone in your life that you're carrying their load? Are you just enjoying the happy-go-lucky time that you're in and you just, you know, you're good, so you're rolling with that and you're, and you're not looking? I mean, husbands and spouses, I mean, that's a good combination. If you're not in a husband and spouse situation, whatever your situation, who is someone who's helping carry a load and, and why are you carrying the load? And have you thought about that? If you're carrying someone's load today, maybe even carrying your child's load. I know my mom still prays for my brother and she's still carrying his load. I mean, sometimes the best thing you can do is just set that down right there at the foot of the cross and just say, you know what, God, I've been carrying this load for so long and I can't, I can't be my son's self. I cannot be my son's salvation. I can't be my daughter's salvation. Only you can. Would you carry that load so that I can be restored myself? I'm a little dried up right now. My tree is just, it's barren and I need the replenishing refilling fluid that comes from the love of God to come bursting back into my life. You know what? Lord, I, I give you I give you what I've been carrying. I give you my burdens. I just give them. I'm going to lay them down with you. And would you restore me? Maybe you're here this morning and you didn't know that's what Jesus died for. Maybe Memorial Day was the closest thing that you've ever heard of, of this idea of having freedom and what the cost of freedom was. Someone had to give their life for that freedom. And maybe today you just need to make a simple decision about, you know what, receiving the freedom of Jesus Christ means being a follower of Jesus Christ. Give your life to him. Acknowledge that you're not good enough without him. Put your faith, your hope, your trust today's and tomorrow in him. And then you don't have to worry about coming up with all this stuff. You just follow him. That's what it really means to be a Christian. Little Christ, follow him. Follow his examples. Use his word. Let it be instructional to you. Don't try to be clever. Lean not into your own understandings, but in all things, in all ways, trust him. His ways are higher than ours. His ways are not our, his thoughts are not our thoughts. But he's given us information to be far more proficient at restoring than judging. I pray that this morning that's been made clear to you. And you can be free because of that and start anew with how you can truly restore and help other believers in the family of God. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for your word and the power of it. I thank you for the simplicity and the clarity of scriptures that calls us to just follow you. Follow the words, follow the instruction, follow the wisdom that's been given to us. Father, we we make such a tremendous effort to figure things out ourselves, to try to understand so many things that are just beyond our comprehension And sometimes we actually give in to those things that just tell us we're not good enough and tell us that we're more full of shame. And and we've let other people condemn us. Father, in the name of Jesus, Romans 8 makes it perfectly clear. There is no condemnation, no condemnation for those in Christ. Father, would you free people today from the condemnation and the negative words and the bad thoughts and all the different horrible cuts that have been made on us. And Father, today, would you prune us in such a way and guide us and shape us in such a way that we can become more fruitful, that we can bless more people, that we can truly be a family of God that cares genuinely, deeply to cry with those who cry, to grieve with those who grieve, and to dance with those who dance. Father, may everything that we say, may everything that we do, do do that in the name, above all names, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.